Well, after a nearly three-month absence, I'm back reading in this wonderful book, Heaven on Earth, by Thomas Brooks, which is a treatise on Christian assurance. And um, we now have two very long chapters, so we're breaking them up into bits and pieces. But uh, this is chapter five, which is entitled... I'll just find the title of it. Chapter five is entitled... Ways and Means of Gaining a Well-Grounded Assurance. And this is part two. There'll probably be at least five parts to this chapter, maybe more. And uh, it seems to be more than 100 pages in length. But anyway, we'll be doing less than that today, much less than that. Um, So this section that we're in is um, Ways and Means of Gaining a Well-Grounded Assurance. That's chapter five. But we're just reading the end of the introduction to that. And we will be reading to the... um, point of where well the next section which we'll read next time is the things that accompany salvation but we're still considering um the nature of assurance um and salvation so may the lord bless this to you he and may it be read for his glory i'm going to read the last chapter the last paragraph that i read for the last um episode which was back in february uh, once we've got going, I hope we'll be able to finish this book in due course, but um, we'll do um, just a short section today. It was the honour and glory of Joshua and Caleb that they followed the Lord fully. Numbers 14.24, that's encouraging, isn't it? Right from the start, following the Lord fully. That is, they lived up to their own principles. So those virgins in Revelation 14.4 and 5, that were without, were without spot before the throne of God, They followed the Lamb wheresoever he went, that is, they lived up to their profession. There was a sweet harmony betwixt their principles and practices, and thus the apostles lived. 2 Corinthians 1.12 For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you would. 1 Thessalonians 2.10 Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Thus we see these worthies living up to their own principles. Blessed Bradford and Bucer lived so up to their principles that their friends could not sufficiently praise them, nor their foes find anything justly to fasten on them. Believers know, one, that their living up to their own principles doth best evidence Christ living in them, and their union with him, Galatians 2.20. They know that it is not their profession, but living up to their principles that will effectually stop the mouths and convince the consciences of vain men. 1 Peter 2 verse 15. For so is the will of God, that by well-doing, that is by living up to your own principles, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. There is no better way in the world to still and silence wicked men to make them dumb and speechless, to muzzle and tie up their mouths, as the Greek word notes, as by living up to your own principles. The lives of men convince more strongly than their words. The tongue persuades, but the life commands. 3. They know that by living up to their principles, they cast a general glory upon Christ and his ways. This makes Christ and his ways to be well thought of and well spoken of. Matthew 5.16 1 Peter 2.11 and 12, 2 Peter 1.5-13. They know that the ready way, the only way to get and keep assurance, joy, peace and so on, is to live up to their principles. 
They know that by living below their own principles or contrary to their own principles, they do but gratify Satan and provoke wicked men to blaspheme that worthy name by which they are called. They know that by their not living up to their own principles, they do but multiply their own fears and doubts and put a sword into the hand of conscience and make sad work for future repentance. Now these and such like considerations do exceedingly stir and provoke believers to labour with all their might, to live up to their own principles, to get to the very top of holiness, to be more and more oppressing towards the mark, and to think that nothing is done till they have attained the highest perfections that are attainable in this life. It is true many hypocrites may go up some rounds of Jacob's ladder, such as make for their profit, pleasure and applause, and yet tumble down at last to the bottom of hell, as Judas, Judas and others have done. Hypocrites do not look, nor like, nor love to come up to the top of Jacob's ladder, Genesis 28.12, to the top of holiness, as you may see in the scribes and Pharisees and all other hypocrites that the scripture speaks of. 3. The third distinction, it is their greatest desire and endeavour that sin may be cured rather than covered. Sin most afflicts a gracious soul. David cries out, not peri, but pi not I am undone, but I have done foolishly. Psalm 51.3 Daniel complains not, we are reproached and oppressed, but we have rebelled, Daniel 9.5. Paul cries not out of his persecutors, but of the law in his members, rebelling against the law of his mind, Romans 7.23. Let's look at Romans 7.23. I don't think I'll be able to quote or look up all of the, the quotes here. So the ones that he doesn't quote directly, of course, we're all welcome to stop, pause and um, look up. So uh, Romans 7.23 reads as follows. Paul says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, then we could read verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? A gracious soul grieves more that God by his sin is grieved and dishonoured than for it he is afflicted and chastened. The heart, feeling within her the operation of the serpent's poison, runs from the thorns and thickets and runs over the green and pleasant pastures that she may drink of the fountain and be cured. So gracious souls, being sensible of the poison and venom of sin, run from the creatures that are but as thorns and thickets, and run over their own duties and righteousness, which are but as pleasant pastures to come to Christ, the fountain of life, that they may drink of those waters of consolation, of those wells of salvation, that be in him and cast up and cast out their spiritual poison and be cured for ever. Believers know that their sins do most pierce and grieve the Lord. They lie hardest and heaviest upon his heart and are more, most obvious to his eye. Amos 2.13 Amos 2.13 reads, Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart that is pressed that is full of sheaves as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond Jeremiah 17 1 their sins are against beams of strongest light 
They are against God's tenderest mercy. They are against the manifestation of greatest love. They are against the nearest and dearest relations. They are against the choicest and highest expectations. And this makes believing souls cry out, O cure, Lord, a cure, Lord. O give me purging grace, give me purging grace. Though I should never taste of pardoning mercy, yet give me purging grace. It was a notable speech of Cosmos, Duke of Florence. I have read, saith he, that I must forgive my enemies, but never that I must forgive my friends. The sins of God's friends, of God's people, provoke him most, and sadden him most, and this makes them sigh and groan out. Who shall deliver us from this body of death? Romans 7.24 Oh, but now wicked men labour, not that sin may be cured, but only that sin might be covered. Hosea 7.10-16 Which reads, And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. When they shall go, I will spread my net upon them. I will bring them down as the fowls of the heaven. I will chastise them as their congregation hath heard. Woe unto them, for they have fled from me. Destruction unto them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I have redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. And they have not cried unto me with their heart, when they howled upon their beds. They assembled themselves for corn and wine, and they rebel against me. Though I have bound and strengthened their arms, yet do they imagine mischief against me. They return, but not to the Most High. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by their sword for the rage of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. And that the consequences of sin, that is, affliction and the stinging of conscience, may be removed, as you may see in Cain, Saul, and Judas, and diverse others. Hosea 5, verses 14 to 15. In their affliction they will seek me early, saith God. Then They will then seek to be rid of their affliction, but not to be rid of their sins that hath brought down the affliction upon them. Like the patient that would fain be rid of his pain and torment, under which he groans, but cares not to be rid of those evil habits that have brought the pain and torment upon him. Psalm 78, 34-37 When he slew them, then they sought him, but they returned and inquired early after God, and they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God, their Redeemer. Nevertheless they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not upright with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. In these words you see plainly that these people are very early and earnest in seeking God to take off his hand to remove the judgments that were upon them, but not that God would cure them of those sins that provoked him to draw his sword and to make it drunk with their blood. For notwithstanding the sad daughters that divine justice had made among them, they did but flatter and lie and play the hypocrites with God. They would fain be rid of their sufferings, but did not care to be rid of their sins. Ah, but a gracious soul cries out, Lord, do but take away my sins, and it will satisfy me and cheer me, though thou shouldst never take off thy heavy hand. A true Nathaniel sighs it out under his greatest affliction, as that good man did. Ami me salva domine, deliver me, O Lord, from that evil man myself. No burden is equal, is equal to the burden of sin. Lord, says the believing soul, deliver me from my inward burden, 
and lay upon me what outward burden thou pleasest. For the fourth distinction, are not your souls taken with Christ as chief? Is he not in your eye the chiefest of ten thousand? Is he not altogether lovely? Song of Solomon 10.16 Yes, you have. Yes, have you any in heaven but he? Is there any on earth that you desire in comparison with him? Proverbs 3.16 Which reads, Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honour. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion for ever. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. Reads, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. No, do not you lift up Jesus Christ as high as God the Father lifts him? God the Father lifts up Christ above all principalities and powers, Ephesians 1.21, Philippians 2.9. He lifts up Christ above all your duties, above all your privileges, above all your mercies, above all your graces, above all your contentments, above all your enjoyments. Do not you thus lift up Christ? Yes. As he is the Father's chiefest jewel, so he is your choicest jewel. Is he not? That's a really good question. Because one almost finds the Lord Jesus excluded from so much of our Christian lives and our churches and our fellowship because we seem to have little time for him these days, even if we're Christians. That seems amazing. But what days of distraction we live in. Is Jesus, well, as he is the Father's chiefest jewel, so he is your choicest jewel, is he not? May it be so, oh, may it be so. Yes, verily, none can lift up Christ as chief unless Christ have their hearts and they dearly love him and believe in him, for Christ is only precious to them that believe. 1 Peter 2, 7 Luther had rather be in hell with Christ than in heaven without him. Is not that the frame of thy heart? Yes. Why then dost thou say that thou hast no grace, thou, thou hast no Christ? Surely none but those that have union with Christ and that shall eternally reign with Christ can set such a high value upon the person of Christ. The true believer, Amat Christum, Propter Christum, loves Christ for Christ. He loves Christ for his personal excellences. Song of Solomon 5 verses 10 to 16, which reads, My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings, set with beryl. His belly is as bright ivory, overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble, set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem.
What Alexander said of his two friends is applicable to many in our day. Says he, Hephaestion loves me as I am Alexander, but Craterus loves me as I am King Alexander. One loved him for his person, the other for the benefits he received by him. So some Nathaniels there be that love Christ for his person, for his personal excellency, for his personal beauty, for his personal glory. They see those perfections of grace and holiness in Christ that would render him very lovely and desirable in their eyes, though they should never get a kingdom or a crown by it. But most of those that bear any love and good will to Christ do it only in respect of the benefits they receive by him. It was Augustine's complaint of old that scarce any love Christ for his rewards. Few follow him for love, but for loaves, John 6.26. Few follow him for his inward excellences. Many follow him for their outward advantages. Few follow him that they may be made good by him, but many follow him that they may be great by him. Certainly you are the bosom friends of Christ. You are in the very heart of Christ, who prize Christ above all, who lift up Jesus Christ as high as God the Father lifts him and that because of his rich anointings, and because all his garments smell of myrrh, aloes, and cassia. Psalm 45, verses 6 to 8. Reads, Thine arrows are... Sh- sorry, thy throne... Verse 6, Psalm 45, verses 6, 6 to 8. Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. The sceptre of thy kingdom is a right sceptre. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh, and aloes, and cassia, out of the ivory palaces, whereby they have made thee glad. This is a work too high and too hard, too great and too noble for all that are not new born, that are not twice born, that are not of the blood royal, that are not partakers of the divine nature. 5. The fifth distinction, are not your greatest and your hottest conflicts against inward pollutions, against those secret sins that are only obvious to the eye of God and your own souls? The light of nature's education and some common convictions of the spirit may put men upon combating those sins that are obvious to every eye, but it must be a supernatural power and principle that puts men upon conflicting with the inward motions and secret operations of sin, Romans 7.23. The apostle complains of a law in his members warring against the law of his mind. The war was within doors. The fight was inward. We know this in our own hearts and lives. The apostle was deeply engaged against a law within him, which made him sigh it out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? So David cries out, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Psalm 19 verse 12. So Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, or for the uplifting of his heart, as the Hebrew have it. 2 Chronicles 32 verse 26. His recovery from sickness, his victories over his enemies, and his rich treasures lifted up his heart. Oh, for those outward risings and vauntings of heart, Hezekiah 
humbles himself, he abases and lays himself low before the Lord. 2 Chronicles 32.26 reads, Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Oh, for those outward risings and vauntings of heart. Hezekiah humbles himself, he abases, and lays himself low before the Lord. A sincere heart weeps and laments bitterly over those secret and, uh, secret and inward corruptions that others will scarce acknowledge to be sins. Many a man there is that bleeds inwardly and dies forever. Many a soul is eternally slain by the inward workings of sin, and he sees it not, he knows it not, till it be too late. Oh, but a true Nathaniel mourns over the inward motions and first risings of sin in his soul, and so prevents an eternal danger. Upon every stirring of sin in the soul, the believer cries out, O Lord, help! O Lord, undertake for me! O dash these brats of Babylon in pieces! O stifle the first motions of sin, that they may never conceive and bring forth to the wounding of two at once, thy honour and my own conscience! So it works in the hearts of a believer. How, what a monster dwells in each of our hearts that would need to rise up and, and, and overcome us. Oh, how, how awful are the stirrings of sin in our hearts. Oh, stifle the first motions of sin that may, they may never conceive and bring forth to the wounding of two at once, like thy honour and my own conscience. Six, the sixth distinction are you not subject to Christ as a head? Yes, devils and wicked men are subject to Christ as Lord, but those that are by faith united to him and that have a spiritual interest in him are subject to him as head. I shall open this particular thus unto you. First, the members are willingly and sweetly subject to the head. Their subjection is voluntary, not compulsory. It is so with a believing soul. Psalm 28, 27 verse 8. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. So Psalm 110, verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness. Paul cries out, What wilt thou have me to do? Acts 9, 6, and professes that he is willing not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of Christ. Acts 21, 13. A gracious soul is in some measure neutralized, naturalized rather, to the work of Christ, and Christ's work is in some measure naturalized to the soul. Secondly, the members are subject to the head universally. They do all the head enjoineth, so the real members of Christ do in sincerity endeavor universally to be subject to all that Christ their head requires, without any exception or reservation. Luke 1, 5 and 6. Zacharias and Elizabeth walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They walked without halting or halving of it with God. They fell in with every part and point of God's revealed will, without prejudice or partiality, without tilting the balance to one side or the other. Acts 13.22 I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfil all my will, or rather all my wills, as the Greek hath it, to note the universality and sincerity of his obedience. Thirdly, 
The members are subject to the head constantly, unweariedly. The members are never never weary of obeying the head. They obey in all places, cases and times. So are the real members of Christ. Acts 24.16 And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offence toward God and toward men. I use all diligence, skill, cunning and conscience to be sincere and inoffensive in all my motions and actions towards God and towards men. So David in Psalm 119 verse 112 I have inclined my heart, or rather as the Hebrew word signifies, I have stretched out my heart as a man would do a piece of parchment to do thy statutes. The Hebrew word signifies to do accurately, exactly, perfectly, always, even unto the end. A gracious soul is not like a deceitful bow, nor like the morning dew, but he is like the sun that rejoiceth to run his race. He is like the stone in Thracia, that neither burneth in the fire, nor sinketh in the water. Now tell me, pray tell me, O you doubting souls, whether you do not, one, labour in all your in all duties and services to approve your hearts to God, whether you do not endeavour to get up to the very top of holiness and to live up to your own principles, whether it be not your greatest desire and endeavour that sin may be cured rather than covered. For whether you are not taken with Christ as chief, whether you do not in your judgments and affections lift up Christ above all as God the Father doth, 5. Whether your greatest and hottest conflicts and combats be not against inward pollutions, against those secret stirrings and operations of sin, which are only obvious to the eye of God and your own souls. 6. Whether you do not, in respect of the general bent and frame of your hearts, submit to Christ as your head. 1. Freely and sweetly. 2. Universally in one thing as well as another, without any exception or reservation. 3. Constantly and unwearily. Yes, we do these things. We should belie the grace of God if we should say otherwise. These things the Lord hath wrought in us and for us. Isaiah 26.12 Which reads, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. Well then, know first that your estate is good. You have certainly a blessed interest in the Lord Jesus. So if we have a war in us going on against sin, and if we are seeking to serve God and to be conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then our estate is good. We certainly have a blessed interest in the Lord Jesus. It's not that there aren't great battles to be fought, or there aren't great um, mountains of difficulty but that we are striving and we're seeking and that we're fighting against that inward sin, the world, the flesh and the devil, but the flesh especially here, um, that we're doing that. It's a mark of grace, isn't it? It's a mark that we have a blessed interest in the Lord Jesus. None can do these things but souls that have union with Christ, that are interested in Christ, that are moved by the peculiar and special influences of Christ, and that are highly beloved of Christ. Verily these are flowers of paradise that cannot be gathered in nature's garden. They are pearls of that price that God bestows upon none but those that are the price of Christ's blood. All the men in the world cannot prove by the scripture that these jewels can be found in any men's breasts but in those that have union and communion with Christ and that shall reign forever with Christ. 
Secondly, know that it is no iniquity, but rather your duty for you to suck sweetness out of these honeycombs and to look upon these things as infallible pledges and evidences of divine favour and of your everlasting happiness and blessedness. Some there be that make the witness of the Spirit, of which I shall, towards the close of this discourse, speak at large, the only evidence of our interest in Christ, and deny all other evidences from the fruit of the Spirit. But this is to deny the fruit growing upon the tree, to be in evidence that the tree is alive, whereas all know that the fruit growing upon the tree is an infallible and undeniable evidence that there is life in the tree. Certainly it is one thing to judge by our graces, and another thing to rest upon our graces, or to put trust in our graces. When one argues from the beams of the sun that there is a sun, one would think that the most cavilling spirit in the world should lie still and quiet. I'm going to leave that there. This is deep stuff. This is wonderful. This is much food for our souls here. This is actually just less than a third of what I was planning to read. But I think if I break it down into smaller chunks, we'll get more out of it. How sweet it is and blessed to read of these things. And, and, and as a Christian, I, I can speak of these battles going on every day in my heart. And I can speak of my own, the old man rising up and fighting um, for supremacy and, and, and the battle to, to keep that down and the difficulty of doing so and the mourning of, of his personal sins and failings and I'm just thankful for this book and how it speaks and how it describes what's going on in the Christian's heart, in my heart so clearly and I just thank God for that by grace may we love Jesus, may we have him exalted in our hearts and in our lives and may we serve him first and before all other considerations Amen